This is Eighth Day Encouragement, a recap of the Sunday service, offering hope and faith from the Church of the Holy Trinity, Manhattan. You can find us online at holytrinity-nyc.org. Elisha and Jesus make it look easy, don't they? Presented with a hungry mob, they each open the equivalent of their kitchen cabinet and see it as mostly bare. But then they get creative and faithful. Something happens. There are a few odds and ends, but with the intervention of God and other people, enough is made. Not only enough, but plenty with leftovers. Too many people have spent too much time during the pandemic doing that first part, looking into the pantry and finding it bare. In fact, over the last year, we've seen on the news and in our city the long lines of people that looked like pictures from the Great Depression, people desperate for food for themselves and their families. Even as the city reawakens and many businesses have reopened, food pantries report about a 30% increase of people needing food more now than before the pandemic. It's estimated that some 2 million people in the state of New York don't have enough to eat, and one in five children go hungry. And so as we gather around this holy table in church to ask and pray for the bread of heaven that sustains us spiritually, we don't pretend for a minute that food comes easily or obviously. God wants to make a feast, and God wants for there to be leftovers, but sometimes God invites us to help in making those miracles. In today's version of the Feast of the Multitudes from the Gospel of John, it seems to me like Jesus does at least three things. First, he has a vision. According to John, Jesus is the first to notice the people's need. And then he almost quizzes the disciples to test their vision For Jesus, the vision is real, even though the means of achieving that vision might not yet be clear. And so the first step in planning for leftovers is having a vision. Next, Jesus shares that vision and extends an invitation. He makes it clear that he needs help. Turning to Philip, Jesus asks, where are we to buy the bread? Philip doesn't have any idea. But Andrew looks around and gets creative. Andrew catches the vision of Christ and imitates Jesus by inviting others in. Like Jesus, Andrew doesn't know exactly how it will end or how things will happen, but he invites the boy to be a part of the solution, and it moves the story forward in faith. So there's that vision of Christ at the beginning that people would be fed, and then there are the invitations that go out to enlist the help of others, And finally, there's a third piece to the process. Jesus prays. It might be tempting to see Jesus's prayer as a kind of stop in the story, a slowdown in the action, but it's it's really just the opposite. Prayer is, is action in high gear. It's concentrated effort. It's energy condensed and channeled and directed toward God. St. John Vianney, the 19th century priest known for his simplicity and spirituality, used to say, private prayer is like straw scattered here and there. If you set it on fire, it makes a lot of little flames. 
but gather these straws into a bundle and light them, and you get a mighty fire rising like a column into the sky. Public prayer is like that. This is what happens when Jesus prays. People notice because of the quality and the focus and the love. The disciples see him and they add their prayers. Then people seeing the disciples add their prayers. On and on it goes as priorities shift in prayer from our will, maybe our hunger, our hope, our desire, to God's will, the world's hunger, the world's hope, and the world's desire. And so this story, sometimes very familiar, of Jesus feeding the multitudes actually invites us to get involved, to share in the vision that all would be fed, that all would get enough to eat physically, and that all would eat spiritually, to accept the invitation of Christ and to invite others along. Jesus doesn't make the miracle all by himself. It takes Andrew to look around and see the kid with loaves and fish, and it takes the kid's industry and willingness to share, and it takes prayer, the prayers of Christ that all would be fed, and our prayers joining to make more, raising the spirit, and finally for us to remember that even though we have work to do, we are sharing in what is ultimately the work of God. At this holy table, and any holy table where you may find yourself, the various tables we make holy as we use them for God's purposes, whether it be in our homes or in another home, in a restaurant, in the mission house at Holy Trinity, in the garden, or in the church, wherever we celebrate the feast of God's presence, May the Holy Spirit enable us to move with God's vision to to invite others to say our prayers and to provide so that the hunger, physical and spiritual, may be met. Let us pray. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. At the 6 p.m. Community Eucharist on July 25th, Calvin Dutois led us in singing The Earth Shall Know. It's by the Porter's Gate Worship Project. And in the chorus, we sing, And the earth shall know God's name, and the earth will sing God's praise. All of the earth shall sing the praise of our God. Thank you.
been listening to Eighth Day Encouragement. The eighth day is a Monday after the seven days of the week, but the eighth day also stands as a new creation outside the pattern of the usual seven. And so the eighth day symbolizes resurrection, hope, and the possibilities for new life. I'm John Bedingfield, the priest and rector at the Church of the Holy Trinity, Manhattan. I hope you'll come and visit us in person one day, but you can also worship with us through Facebook Live, follow us on YouTube, and learn more at holytrinity-nyc.org. God bless you this week and always.